We are back in action. Reinforced Running Podcast. Rich here, bringing you a brand new episode. Today, John and I, we sat down with Dr. Rob Cananello, uh, whose name I mispronounced in the, like the first second of the podcast, which was very embarrassing. But he was super nice and forgave me, and we had an awesome conversation after that. Rob is a podiatrist who is very forward thinking and he works specifically with athletes. He had a passion for working with athletes. So he made it happen. He figured out what was the best way to address and connect with athletes. And he's found that a holistic approach for athletes in particular is the best way to kind of go about it. So we do a real deep dive on some of the things that athletes can do with the help of a practitioner podiatrist in particular about how they can address their pain, how to become healthy and how to increase their longevity as athletes to help their performance. We also talk a lot about how to find and trust a practitioner and some really good ways to help yourself figure out what you need and really who you need to see and, and how that can help you. And, and ultimately, Rob is a storyteller and he has some awesome stories to share. Particularly, we got into his personal story quite late in the podcast, about an hour in. Um, but I really implore you to hang around or even just move to that point of the podcast to listen about how he has a life philosophy and a mantra that anyone, any of us can really learn from. So again, it's, it's, in, it's later into the podcast, but awesome content sprinkled all the way throughout here. So uh, I really think you'll get some awesome, valuable content out of this. So um, before we get to that, I do want to remind you to rate and review. It helps us out quite a bit. Hit subscribe to get all the newest episodes directly to your feed. Uh, we are available on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that. Um, you are aware of at least one of those because you're listening to this right now. So uh, please rate and review. And also in our show notes, there is a link to our coaching application and coaches page where you can learn a lot more about one-on-one -on -one premium coaching for OCR athletes and road runners at reinforced running. So we are looking for athletes who are who do want to get faster in the next six to 12 months. And if you have interest, you can check out those links and then we can connect with you and we can figure out exactly how we could help you and if we would be a good fit. So take a look at the show notes below. And with that, here is Rob. And welcome to the Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan, joined as always by John, Florida Man Williams. John, what's up, dude? What's going on, everybody? And we have a special guest today, Dr. Rob Canello of Orangetown Podiatry. Cononello. Cononello? Oh, yeah, you got to get that extra syllable in yeah, there. Yeah, there's an extra little like skip in there. All right, I'm doing terrible. We're doing terrible already, but we're going. He gets it all the time, I'm sure. Yeah, do you? Is that, is that appropriate? Absolutely. I get called anything from cannoli to continental, so it all works out. <laughs> yeah, that was the first time I said it out loud in my brain. I knew. Um, John, could you tell uh, Rob the Florida man anecdote that you told me? That so, was yeah, so I don't know if you heard of this, but you put your, 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 uh, your birthday and – the words Florida man into Google and something ridiculous will come up. Somebody actually engineered every day of the year to be something like Florida man, like does something crazy and rested for this. And it's, it's basically like, <laughs> so you can put your birthday in it and it's, you know, it, it's, it's actually kind of, it, it's pretty funny actually. Um, I think it's more funny that somebody took the time to actually like somehow engineered the, the Google space that, that it comes up, but it's, it's a real thing down here. And, uh, so <laughs> Funny or sad, and I'm not really sure. 
<laughs> I know it's funny or sad. Exactly. And like, was how much time do you think the person who developed that sunk into it? Like what, it were, what else were they doing? Are they just like really bored at work? Just like ahead, a slow time of the year. Just like, ah, we just got a little side project that I'm working on. Couldn't have been easy, but I'm slowly, but slowly, but surely I'm uh, becoming a Florida man. That's for sure. So. <laughs> Doesn't make you a bad man. person. It's all good. <laughs> um, cool. Well, uh, Rob, appreciate you popping on today. You're up in Orangetown, New York, correct? Yeah, it's Orangeburg, New York, actually. Yeah. Even though we call Orangetown Podiatry, it's uh, kind of a hamlet in Orangetown. It's Orangeburg. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, you guys have hamlets, right? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of kind of goofy, but cool. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So tell us, just first and foremost, man, like you're a podiatrist. So tell us what's so awesome about feet. <clears throat> ah, feet. Well, you know, 26 start? bones, 33 articulations, four layers of plantar muscles. What else is there? It's so cool. Do you call it 26 um, bones or 28? Well, that's a good question. You know, it depends on day of the week. But, here there's uh, like, yeah, here there's, there's a lot of controversy around like that. Like planet. I go with 26. You know, I don't know how cool being a foot doctor is, but I remember being a medical student and going to a bar and uh, some girl goes, what do you do? I'm like, I'm in medical school. Like, what are you going to be? I'm like, I'm going to be a foot doctor. And they're like, oh, gross. <laughs> I'm like, great, great. You know, but now, now I get... Uh, uh, you must love feet. And I'm like, well, what do you ask your gynecologist? You know, I'm not really yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, no, I, I love being a, I love being a sports uh, podiatrist because I get to work with people who are highly motivated to get better. You know, I love dealing with the athlete. I love dealing with um, people who have goals and that's so important to me. So that, that's why I love doing what I do more than anything. I don't love feet. I love people with feet who use their feet. And what was it? Was there, what, in the beginning, was there any sort of inspiration or somebody you knew or something that, that, that directed you towards podiatry? Yeah. You know, so like no one ever says I want to be a podiatrist when they're 13. Right. So, but when I was <laughs> a, a kid, for some odd reason, I thought I wanted to be an orthodontist. And uh, I went to visit a bunch of orthodontists when I was like 17, 18 and in college, and I was like, dude, I don't want to do this at all. This is not for me. You know? So I was uh, wrestling at the time in college and uh, broke my ankle and uh, I, so I had to go get my ankle fixed, I had some surgery, and I'm like, this is kind of cool. So I started looking into that space of, of motion and, and, and uh, uh, lower extremity issues, and I thought that was kind of a cool thing. And then I started to visit some podiatrists, and I guess the ones I visited were relatively cool, so um, here I am. <laughs> I don't think any, I don't think 13, 13 year olds ever say they want to be an orthodontist either. So yeah, I was like that, that elf Hermie, you know, from uh, the, the Christmas story. Yeah, yeah. Get <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, cool. So that, that's kind of how you got into it. And so tell us a little bit more yeah. about your background. Like how did you end up uh, at Orangetown Podiatry in Orangeburg? Like tell us how, yeah. how you kind of, what led you to this point? So I'm a hometown boy. This is where I was, uh, where I grew up. And uh, so it's uh, right on the Hudson River Valley, um, right about 10 miles uh, north of New York City. And, uh, you know, I was uh, an athlete in high school, loved doing all this different kind of stuff. And um, I always said I wanted to give back. I wanted to come back here. I did my training in New York City and in Brooklyn, did my residency and all. And I said, I always wanted to come back here. So here I am now and uh, love working with the, the local community here and uh, working with the athletes that we got down in this area. Was it was it always uh, was your was your interest always in the sports medicine side of things? Was your practice always kind of focused towards that? Or I mean, I'm sure you still see other people people Absolutely. outside of sports medicine. 
Yeah, you know, it's kind of interesting because in podiatric medical school, they don't really teach you a hell of a lot about sports medicine at all, mm. um, which is kind of a, a frustrating thing. So at the time, it was more well-rounded, and the sports medicine stuff that they taught us back in the day was basically, you know, this is an orthotic or this is a whirlpool, and it really wasn't anything to do with sports medicine at all, in my opinion. So um, the things that I learned is kind of from my own interest and being involved with people who had the same interests and, and going outside of the scope of podiatry. So um, I'm kind of an outlier when it comes to being a podiatrist and, and me and uh, uh, several other docs that I kind of affiliate myself with. We we look at things from a different lens, you know, where we're more of that hybrid uh, physical therapist, uh, trainer, podiatrist, as opposed to a typical podiatrist. And do I do like the same things that other guys do too? Yeah, I mean, I do my, my fair share of uh, reconstructive surgery and um, things like that as well. But um, my passion is more about dealing with the athlete and understanding about movement patterns and mobility and uh, and how to get stronger, you know, to be a better athlete. And, and I don't, I know you guys are a running podcast, but I deal with all athletes of all different types. Like I'll have a triathlete in here. I'll have a figure skater, you know, and I'll have a, you know, a bowler in here. So whatever works for them, you know, it's like uh, back in the day, George Sheehan, I don't know if you know who he is. He was a great um, running guru, MD. And he Absolutely. said, we're all, yeah, we're all athletes. We're just at different levels of training. So, you know, I don't care if you're trying to do a sub, uh, you know, two marathon or if you're trying to, uh, you know, get your mail, you know, it's, you're still an athlete. You still have goals. And, and, and was there something that made you kind of go against the grain um, when it came to like, it sounds like going through school, like, was it frustrating that they didn't kind of have a focus for you? And when you decided, like, it sounded like you had a passion to help athletes for a while. But like, how did you decide and how did you kind of carve out that? their niche if it didn't doesn't seem like it was really available for you at the time yeah so the thing i really hate is algorithms i think that i hate that i say everyone has to be a certain way so like back in you know i was going to school was in the 80s um and you know early 90s and you know everyone was if if you were you know, uh, have a high arch foot, you wear this if you have a low arch foot you wear that and i said that doesn't make sense and i remember even you know, visiting some different docs and they would say, you know, look at this shoe and, and look at that foot. They have to be in that. And I'm like, I don't, I don't agree with that. It just didn't seem like it made sense to me. You know, I, I felt as though people who everyone's different, everyone's unique and everyone's an experiment of one. So I had to move away from, you know, what the traditional thing was and try to find some other uh, concepts that were, that were out there and, and more appropriate to what I was feeling. So I, I was really lucky enough to um, go away from even where my practice is and, and, and meet some different uh, docs and, and therapists across the country. And uh, I also worked with, um, I still do work with Special Olympics. So I was mm-hmm. a global, global, yeah, global clinical advisor for Special Olympics International and got to meet a lot of international um, docs and got to understand their point of view and perspectives, which was very, very cool, which led me to getting an opportunity to work um, for the Racing to Planet group. I don't know if you knew what that was. That was an adventure races uh, across the world. And I did the Sahara race where I was uh, one of the team leaders in medicine for um, the Sahara run. It was a 150-mile race across the Sahara. And, and there again, you, you, yeah, it was, it was crazy. Uh, you know, you learned about lots of different things you never learned. So um, it was fun. And, you know, and then you developed this group of friends and contacts that you kind of, you know, you share best practices with. Very cool. So it was almost kind of like you took the things that made sense to you based on what other people were doing. And, and you're fortunate enough to really kind of create your own type of philosophy around those things. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. 
you were the you were the president of the was it the Podiatric Sports Medicine Association or yeah American the, Academy of Podiatric Sports Medicine that's what it was okay yeah and, 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 a, that, and go ahead. sorry a really really good group a group that uh, you know at the time when I first joined there was a there were some people in that group that actually had that same kind of shared uh, passion and, and enthusiasm and wanted to see things through a, a different way. And, um, you know, through that group, I was able to, you know, learn a lot. Now, there was also people within that group that I did not share philosophies with. And um, and they were, you know, sometimes we kind of bumped heads a little bit about things. And that was kind of cool, too, because, you know, anytime you start questioning people's, you know, beliefs, you're affecting their belief systems. And they, they get very defensive. It's like, you know, religion and politics and, right. and even sports medicine. It's, it's, it's hysterical. <laughs> but, you know, the, the good news is that, you know, we're evolving and uh, we just had a recent a group uh, meeting up in Cambridge uh, a couple of weeks ago and um, we see how it's things have changed and we kind of, you know, it's a little kumbaya. Everyone's getting back together and, and talking about the old times and how things, how we've changed a lot. And I've changed a lot too. You know, you know, back in the day, I look at some of the things I told the patients, you know, 20 years ago and I'm like, I almost want to give them a call and say, Hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, uh, I shouldn't have told you that because that was the wrong thing. You know, I'll give you a, a quick, uh, a quick little anecdote. If you got, if you got a moment, I, uh, was giving a lecture a couple of years back at our national meeting in, in Washington. And um, it was all about um, misconceptions and myths in, in podiatry and sports medicine and things about like, you know, is ice this? Is ice good to be? Everyone need an orthotic. Does everyone need a motion control shoe? Blah, blah, blah. And I said, I don't think we need all that stuff. And I would kind of like went into my different reasons for it. And at the end, uh, there was a time for Q&A and this older doc got up there and he's like, you are wrong with everything you're saying. And I was like, all right, that's cool. I'm just trying to give you opinion. It's not right or wrong. And he's like, no, no, I've been doing this for 40 years and you're wrong. You're totally wrong. It works. All the things I do works for me, putting people in a motion control shoe and wearing a stiff orthotic and yada, yada, yada. I'm like, all right, that's good. I go, do you want to come up here and talk? He's like, no, no. And I'm in front of like, you know, two, 300 people. And he's like, really, you know, on my case. So he finally wouldn't give up on it. So I said, hey, you know how medicine and science evolves? I said, when the old doctors and scientists die. So I I don't think I'm getting a Christmas card from that guy. But, you know, you got to be quiet. Yeah, I mean, and that's it. You know, I'm sure the things that I'm preaching today to – to my students will be questioned at some point in time too. And that's, that's the way it should be. 100%. And like, that's how things do evolve. you know, thinking of old medical surgeries of the past, they're light years different. So um, that's good that you are always forward thinking with that. And that's something that I did want to ask you about a little bit, just as being a a running coach and um, personal trainer for years, whenever someone would go to a podiatrist, they always would kind of come back and would say like, they put me in an orthotic and it's like, okay, like, well, what else? And, um, there wasn't really much else. It was always just like, if you were going there, you were leaving with an orthotic. Um, so I'd love to kind of hear your opinion on that. Like, could you make making a case like for orthotics or against orthotics? Cause like, to me, I always wanted it to be more about like strengthening and, and working the individual. Um, and I didn't know necessarily if, cause a lot of times it seems like it was a crutch. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so yeah, talk talk to me a little bit about orthotics. I think a lot of times podiatry and orthotics are kind of like synonymous. Yeah, and, and I, I have to agree with you. And that's my biggest pet peeve is that, you know, people who say they're sports medicine podiatrists, they basically are just giving out orthotics, you know, and they're giving the same orthotic out to everybody. It's not even a different type of orthotic for a different pathology. So that really kind of rubs me the wrong way. And to be, you know, uh, 
a sports medicine podiatrist, you have to do much, much more than that. And do I use orthotics in my practice? Absolutely, but they're not a life sentence. Um, I use an orthotic as uh, something to augment their, their ability or training. You got to realize when, when patients come to see me, they're injured. They're not healthy athletes. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't give a healthy athlete who has no issue any type of insert at all. But sometimes people need something for a short period of time. But I'm really more about getting them out of that. I would love to see them get out of that orthotic whatever time frame it is and start working on strengthening. We work on strengthening from day one and um, we give them the option to wear maybe, and I don't even use orthotics all that much to be quite honest. I use more off the shelf type of insoles, you know, just to see if that could help taping strappings and, and, and that usually works quite well. Um, and then we kind of work them into more of mobility and strengthening and, and working up the chain, not just looking at, at the foot, but, you know, that's the what. So if someone comes in and they have healing arch pain, it's plantar fasciitis, that's the what. But why? You know, do you have weak hips? Do you have, you know, a weak core? You know, or just not a strong person, you have bad form. Those are the things that are much more important. And that's where I've kind of aligned myself, you know, having a good team, you know, having a, um, a really good athletic trainer, having a really good physical therapist that I can recommend, and having a really good running retailer that I could, you know, uh, recommend. And, I, and, and an independent running retailer to me is really important. And John and I, that's how we first met because i think that's so important to to find people that really you could trust so yeah i yeah. think it's, it's a good segue to, to just touch on your involvement with the industry uh over, over the years i know that you do some speaking at their, their running event which is a big event um how did you get involved there and, and how are you still involved yeah so um i've gone to the running event every year since it started and um it's kind of a, a weird way that I kind of got involved with that because at the time I was the, I think the vice president of the American Academy of Poetic Sports Medicine. And one of my colleagues, Dr. Matt Word from Florida, um, he came to me, he goes, Hey, you know, there's this, there's a thing going on in Austin, Texas called the running event. And the time was still relatively new. And he, he said, yeah, let's look into it. And he goes, yeah, the guy that we're supposed to, uh, contact is some guy named Mark Sullivan. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty funny. I said, my kid plays T-ball. His coach's name is Mark Sullivan. And, <laughs> and lo and behold, Mark Sullivan was Mark Sullivan. I had yeah. no idea. I just thought he was like the guy who taught my kid how to hit grounders. But, uh, you know, it was this guy. He lived right in my town. Meanwhile, he did this event in Austin. So I thought he was a Texas guy. But so we started talking and um, we, we've shared a lot of same philosophies. And I told him the things that I, I, I like to do. So I went down one time just to visit it and see what it was all about. And it was very, very cool. And then from there, we, we you know, myself and a few of the other docs got, decided to put together a little bit of um, uh, a presentation where we talked to the retailers about how to incorporate the, the medical um world into their into their their world as well um, because it really has to be a symbiotic relationship and i think for a lot of times it can be adversarial um john you could probably talk about that too and the fact that sometimes you know you get a podiatrist who'll say oh yeah my my runner needs this brooks beast or you know a uh, heritage runner new balance I'm like come on man really you know you don't want to do that you really want to tell you know the retailer hey this is your world. You guys know this a lot better than I know it, but put my, my philosophy has always been, you know, put the patient in the least possible shoe that they could deal with. And then we'll work from there and and move up from there. Um, So those are the kind of things we talked about at the running event and I'm still involved with it. I'm going to be down there this uh, December um, talking again, actually this time I'm going to be talking uh, about recovery and recovery shoes and things like that. um, And and the work I do with UFOs as well. 
Nice. Uh, that's cool. all. Yeah, and that's cool. Um, and it's interesting to see because people who end up dogmatic on one side or the other about footwear, it, they it's a really polarizing subject. Um, as far as like where like what the the retailers or I'm sorry, the manufacturers have in mind, like you hear people like in the minimal movement saying like that these retailers have bad intentions and they want people to get hurt in their shoes. And on the opposite side, you know, like everyone is just trying to give people a, a good experience when it comes to their running shoes. So like, where have you seen the the industry kind of go as far as the philosophy of the footwear that they're making? Or are they concerned about, making healthy runners or is it just more about making these runners get a good experience from their run? Yeah, I think, you know, like I've seen it all, you know, I've seen, you know, when we first started things out and it was like, you know, you know, match the, the foot type to the shoe, which obviously is not the way to go. And then, you know, we've seen things evolve into the whole minimal world where, you know, when Chris McDougall came out with his book and everyone was walking yeah. around at the Austin, Texas with the Bieber five fingers it was hysterical. You go into the bathroom and people are barefoot. And then, you know, literally like a year or two years later, everyone's walking around with big honking soles with hokas on. So you know, it was all over the, over the plate. And now I think that, you know, in the retail space, it's really tough for the retailers to, you know, you know, even even compete nowadays with the Amazons of the world and things like that. So mm. um, I think, you know, what they're starting to do more is to pay more attention to the health of their runners and give a personal like shopping experience to the people who come to see them, which I think is important. And they are including, you know, people like myself and therapists um, and trainers to, to come to the store and offer some information. I know personally, I do that myself. Now uh, I go once a, once a month and then we do it doctors in and we just go there and um, we, we screen patients or we ask, answer questions. I've even taken it one step further and I came in uh, as a guest fitter. Uh, I do it on, on a Saturday once a month and I just want to see what it was like to be in, in their shoes, no pun intended. Fun. Um, and, yeah. And sit, sit on the opposite side of the of the stool. And, you know, I know everything, right? I've been doing this for 30 years. And someone comes in, I'm like, oh, yeah, you should be wearing, you know, the sock and he ride. And like, man, this is shit. I hate this shoe. It's, it's terrible. <laughs> Do you have it in pants? It's, 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 it's not for me. I'm like, wow, you just blew my mind. So it's hard to be the retailer and, and find exactly the – the, the right shoe and and you know sometimes you have to be you know dynamic you have to like work on your you know think think things out and, and and figure out what's the right thing for each individual so it's fun i think that's where you know we're seeing more of of the retailers in the world going to now is that they they want to give this personal shopping experience for the, for the individual hey, that's almost a whole nother episode right like the history and the evolution of just these theories and and i think obviously chris mcdougall like with things getting blown up and just just to see it evolve and go in different directions and it for the retailer it was so easy at one point because it was all about subtailer neutral or the just the rear foot and and looking at the the basically for for the listeners out there looking maybe some you you may have gone into a running store and they would watch you either walk from behind or watch you with a camera from behind play it back and if you were eliminating that pronation with the arch collapsing in the shoe, all was well with the world and you sent them out to be happy. Now, you know, because running has gotten so popular, you know, there's been people, there's been, whether it be scientists or people who have interest um, diving in, you know, these running brands have labs out there now. They're doing way more research. And you may, you said something earlier that you used this 
talk to people about like some of your patients about things and you want to call them back and be like, Hey, I'm sorry. I kind of feel the same way with running shoes yeah, <laughs> um, because you know, it's, it's right now they're coming out with things like, Oh, well, it's not all about just the, the you know, the heel rotating and the, and the heart collapsing. There's a lot going on with the hips and the knees and there's all these things that are going on. But on the other hand, we've had this anecdotal proof that show like, even people who switched their barefoot running would say, Oh, my knee pain went away or I got into the beast. My knee pain went away. So it's, it's almost a whole another episode. Um, but with that said, like, do you see it going in, in a, in a direction right now? Like, is there something you've seen or like a direction as far as like, um, footwear and, you know, biomechanics where the footwear meets biomechanics and how that, you know, it, where it's heading right now? Yeah, it, it is heading into it another direction. And I'm not sure if I really like the direction it's heading to right now because it is heading towards more of a, a computer-based fitting system. Um, you know, I know HP has a, a system now where people, and, and if you're working with Superfeet, and you know, we mm-hmm. come in and, and you step on, you know, their 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 mat and, and they they watch you move and they they have a catalog of different shoes that say, hey. Based on what you have, we have a catalog, and we, and we can see that you probably would fit into one of these five shoes, and and that's cool. But you know what? It takes away the art of fitting shoes, of knowing what's the right thing to wear, um, and, and I think it can get a little bad, you know, a little scary because then you're going to see every a kiosk in every mall, and people are going to say, "Well, you should be wearing this shoe, and that's the one you have to wear." And it's kind of getting back to where we were before. You know, it really should be more about what feels right, right? We all have. Uh, specific movement patterns um and we we should wear what feels right for us and um you know i think that you know, i think comfort's the most important thing if you're comfortable you're gonna be more metabolically efficient um if you're metabolically efficient you're gonna have less injury so i i think that's the that's where we're going a little bit now and you're seeing much more of this uh 3d printing type of scenarios that are going on it's kind of it's kind of cool and you know we were just at a a meeting and one of my colleagues uh, saw this 3d printing for orthotics and uh he said i just want to have that you know printing nonstop in my waiting room so people can see it because it's eye candy. And I'm like, yeah, that's not, that's not where we should be at this point. In time. <laughs> so, you know, I think it's more about, you know, what feels right. You know, I, I don't like a lot of the big box stores and, and some of the, the stores that are out there that are pretending to be small retailers, but are really big box stores. You do a lot of the, the fitting through, you know, the foot dog system and shoe dog system, things like yeah, that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which, which to me, I think is, you know, I inserts. get so, yeah, I get so many patients are coming to see me. Go, oh, you know, I got orthotics. I got orthotics from where from this store, and um, and they watched me move. And like you said, they watch you in the frontal plane or from rear foot on a treadmill, and they say, you know, oh, this is what you need because your your foot everts, and you need to have this shoe. I'm like, well, who watched you first of all? Oh, the salesperson. Yeah. Oh, the salesperson who oh. was working at the pizza place last week, and now all of a sudden he's a you know biomechanist. <laughs> I'm so like, true. yeah, it it just drives me nuts. So you know. I think, you know, the most important factor and the thing that we should be talking about, like I said, is comfort, you know, and, and, you know, and, and, and the shoe that fits you and the right shoe might be a shoe that I, like I said, like I, I might be wrong. It might be a big supportive shoe, but you know, you got to figure out what's the right thing and a good retailer will make sure that they put you in a variety of different things until you feel right and let you move around in that shoe, you know, because Here's the bottom line is that when you put a shoe on, even comfort's hard to, to tell. It's very subjective, right? You put on a, a cushy shoe, it's going to feel good, right? But you're not running in that shoe. So let me go run a little bit around around the town before I can really pick a shoe. So 
that that's what I think, you know, you know, retailers are going to have to do a little bit more. And that's, I think yeah, where we there's a lot of, there's a, of, I've seen some studies about that, like comfort connected with injury. And it, it, it's pretty crazy scenario, but um, to think that, you know, you being comfortable is actually going to help you avoid injury above some of these other really technical rear footy, you know, eversion and arch collapsing and all these things that like comfort is very much coming out in front right now, which is really, really amazing. Cause you would never thought that, right? Like, cause I actually, at a certain point, I'm like, I don't care if you're comfortable, this is what you need. Right. <laughs> do it. It's GTS, be out the door. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so we've talked a little bit about kind of how the biomechanics around the, the industry kind of matched up with the footwear that they've been recommended to, but um, could you kind of talk to us a little bit about how you approach like biomechanics in general? Like I feel like most people hear terms like pronation or overpronation, you know, and like they'll, they'll, that's all, that's it. That's all they really know. So tell us a little bit about like how, like when someone comes in to see you, like what kind of things you look for and what kind of things that like what these terms might mean, you know, like pronation, supination or, and, and, and how the biomechanics of the body sh- should work. Yeah, I try to stay away from those terms, to be quite honest, because they're garbage bag terms, um, because pronation means absolutely nothing. You know, pronation is a normal motion that we're we supposed all do to it. have. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, I yeah. pronate, so I need inserts. It's like, well, we yeah, all Yeah, I challenge anyone to tell, give me a number of what overpronation is. There, there is no, <laughs> fake, you know, there's a, we're, yeah. We're, we're all like an N of one of each individual. So, you know, everyone pronates and supinates to a different amount. So I don't even use those words. But if I have a patient come into me, you know, the first thing I always ask them is, you know, tell me their story because everyone has a story. So I want to see where they've been, where they're, where they're going, where they want to see themselves going. What's their goal? Um, once we find that out, we ask them what their injury is. And, and you know, I always say, I always say point with one finger where you feel, you know, the most amount of discomfort and they'll show me. Uh, and I ask them to tell me what their lifestyle is, what, what they're doing um, when they're not exercising, what, what's their job? Are they sitting? Are they standing? And once we get all that information, that's really critically important to get all that info down. And then we want to get them up out of the chair, which, which is the biggest problem I have with most foot and ankle docs is that they, they look at people sitting. Um, that's great, you know, but if you're a runner, let me, let me see you get out of the chair and move a little bit, you know, and, and, and then what we do is we do a really simple dynamic assessment. You know, we want to see, you know, are you able to stand on one foot? You know, are you able to stand on one foot and do single leg squats? I can't tell you how many of these elite runners that come in to see me can't stand for more than three seconds on one foot. You know, I'm like, can you brush your teeth on one foot? No, I can't do any of that, that that kind of stuff. Um, I've I've done a lot of work with uh, Ray McClanahan and Jay Deshari um, out out from Oregon and um, Mark Kukazella, and they put together a great criteria talking about, um, you know, uh, foot intrinsics and foot motion and doing things like, are you able to separate your toes or you do the things like toe yoga, where you're able to pick your big toe up compared to your lesser four toes and, and vice versa, you know, because if you can't do that, if you can't drive through your, your great toe, you're not going to be able to stride well. Um, so we look at that. Then we look up the, the chain. We want to see, you know, when they're doing a single leg squat, are they, you know, is their knee falling in? Are they having weak hip ab- abduction? Um, you know, that's really important as well because all that stuff adds up to where the pathology comes from. And it's not just the, yeah, my, my foot, my foot hurts in my heel. So you need a cortisone injection. You know, that's, 
that's bad medicine. So we have to see all those different components. So that's what I do with my patients. Um, and, and it works, you know, and then from there, we come up with a plan and, and the plan might be, hey, you know, maybe you need to do these exercises. We all, I give every one of my patients exercises, including, you know, intrinsic strengthening exercises. And then we also say, hey, maybe for a short period of time, you might need to wear a bit of support just to get you through this chronic or assuming to this acute phase until we can move that away. And when you get stronger and I make them do the homework and I make them come in and prove that you did the homework. And we do this with kids as well as with, you know, higher end professional runners. Um, and it's the same issues. It's the same issues. You know, I have a, um, a cousin who just came in fourth at the marathon uh, in Doha last week, um, Callum Hawkins. And he's had some of these same issues um, that I see with my 13 year old, you know, freshman runners. So, you know, and we have them do the same, same type of things. Um, yeah. So tell us a little bit about those things. When someone wants to go see somebody like you, who would be, you know, athlete sport specific, um, say they're having some sort of ailments, like when should they come see you and who, and what kind of things should they be on the lookout for when, when considering and, to find some help? And if I could piggyback on, on that, you know, there's there obviously in the world of, of, sports medicine you have chiropractors you have you know mm. um you know, physical therapists and you know and and i you know how how um i guess maybe this is even an opportunity for you to kind of talk a little bit about podiatry and why you think maybe they should be going to see you as, a, as opposed to a chiropractor but but you know at what point because i and i'll just give you a quick example and like answer is that what if i say i have plantar fasciitis and someone comes to me and says i should be going to see a chiropractor kind of like you know and so where where does the where does the i guess the the rubber meet the road with all that as well yeah yeah so first and foremost you know obviously patients are much more informed than they ever were before so most of the time people are doing their own research before they even get to me and they usually give me um you know i usually have x y or z everyone has plantar fasciitis everyone says because they all know what that is they all have done their web md work and they all said i've done you know my lacrosse ball and ice water bottle rolling and i've taken my ibuprofen and uh i'm still hurting but i have plantar fasciitis well you know First of all, as a doc, I got to make sure, you know, what are the, the six other things that they could have besides plantar fasciitis? Because, you know, you want to think about the zebras too, not just the horses that are coming to see you. So, um, you know, that terminology when I say that, you know, no, you hear, I can't, oh, I was nodding like I knew, okay. but I don't yeah, think yeah. I know. If we use that a lot. If you hear hooves. Yeah, you look for look for a horse, right? But sometimes you got to look for a zebra. Sometimes you know, there's zebras too. Yeah, yeah. So there's zebras too. So you got to make sure you know. Like for instance, someone comes with heel and arch pain. Maybe it's not plantar fasciitis. Maybe it's a stress fracture, or maybe it's a bone yeah. tumor, or maybe it's something that you didn't even think about. But you have to think about those things if you want to be a good doc. So I guess the question is, when do they come to me after they've done all their own research? Is that you know if things are just not progressing the way they want it to go. You know, I'll be honest with you, most people that come to see me that say they have plantar fasciitis probably do have plantar fasciitis, but maybe they actually have something called plantar fasciosis. Uh, plantar mm -hmm. fasciosis is more of a scarring of that area because people are coming to me. They're not coming to me two, three weeks after they're starting to have heel pain. They're coming to me, you know, two or three years sometimes of dealing with this or at least two or three months yeah. and not getting any better. So, you know, 
I guess if the athlete is not improving by doing simple things that they've read about, it's time to go see somebody. Um, if they're limping, obviously in any sport, especially running, you know, you're, you're not doing it. You got to stop. You got to figure out what's going on because you're just going to throw off everything else. But you know, when do you see me as opposed to maybe seeing another professional? It all depends, you know. Um, it all depends upon the individual doctor, guys, because there's there's good and bad in all, right? You know, and sure. so you you better vet your doctors and advocate for yourself as much as you can, and make sure it, you know this person has you know um, the chops to make sure they could do the right thing. You know, have they seen lots of different individuals, and how is their reputation? You know, we all have Google reviews and Yelp reviews right now and, you know, read them, you know, and, and as a doctor, you better know what people are saying about you because that, you know, shows you who you are. So, you know, sometimes, you know, patients might say, hey, I'm going to go to the chiropractor. I'm going to go, you know, I want to go to the PT or I want to go to the massage therapist. That's OK. Um, I think, you know, as, as, as far as a sports podiatrist who has a passion for this, I think I could be the quarterback, you know, and say, hey, you know what? this is what I think you need to do. I'm going to send you here, here, or there. So, you know, I think that's my role first. And then moving forward from that, you go from here. I, I think if you, you know, um, you have to be careful because sometimes people want you to fit their, their criteria. So if you go to um, a, a foot and ankle orthopedist, you know, they're a hammer and you're a nail and they're going to say, well, if I can't do, this procedure or I don't have physical therapy. I don't know what to do with you, you know? So go with someone who has a lot of tools in their toolbox that could say, Hey, there's a lot of different ways we could treat with the other pathologies that you have. And that's a great approach to, to go about that because people might not even know the difference between these different practitioners. Um, so, I mean, if it is something foot related, it is a safe bet for podiatry for sure. Um, but I'm sure you see other people that maybe like, because there might be issues that might stem from the foot or might manifest there, or they might be in the knee or in their back. So do you see a lot of people that way too? Or, or would that be helpful for someone who has chronic knee pain um, to, to come see you as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of the times uh, you know, patients will come to me and not even tell me if they've had you know, knee or back pain, um, but we will we'll fix something that's helped, that, that's been bothering them in their foot. And they'll come to me a month later and go, you know what, I've had like neck pain for like the last six months and it went away or I've had, you know, you know, hip or knee pain. And so that's, you know, you got to realize, I keep saying the same thing over and over again, but we are a kinetic chain, a chain in motion. And we have to realize that what affects us on one end is going to affect at the other end and vice versa. So you can't just treat the what you got to treat the why. Mm. Mm, that, that, and that's always, that's always going to be the case, right? Like, ha, like Without question. you can't just, like you said, it can't be a hammer for every job. Yeah. Um, but you know what, going back to what I said before is that each patient has to advocate for themselves. You know, they really have to say, Hey, listen to what I'm saying, because this is what's bothering me. And this is what I, I need to, and, and as a good doctor, you have to do a lot more listening, a lot less talking, right? Um, you know, we have two ears and one mouth. So use the thing we have more of. Um, it's, it's important to, you know, hear what, hear what their story is and what's going on. I mean, personally, I've, I've had to deal with that with my own medical issues. And a lot of times people were not listening to me. So you, you, you got to learn to advocate for yourself. 
And so that is an awesome point. That's something I really did want to ask you because this is something that would be really valuable for someone who's going to, to see that, who do, who might need to advocate for themselves. One time I was working with someone who is, uh, I was seeing them in person. We were just going over things and, you know, as a runner, so he's talking to me and he's like, oh, my doctor said like, you shouldn't run more than five miles. I was like, uh, okay. He was like, yeah, because he said he used to run marathons, but now he just runs five miles and his knees don't hurt anymore. And this is like a general <laughs> physician. And I'm like, what is this doctor talking? Like this guy, who I was talking about, like took the word from the doc, and that was his response. He's like, "Oh, but it, a doctor told me that." So, like, he right. trusted the like the title, and you know, he's in his office, and it was just like anything that came out of his mouth was going to be the truth. So, yeah. like, it's hard for people coming in to see someone like you, and they're like, "Okay, well, we need to do surgery, or we need to do this, we need to do X, Y, Z." Like, how can you? recommend people to push back how how could you recommend them to be advocate for themselves without um like offenses essentially like standing up to the authority because it's a tough spot yeah knowledge is power you know so they have to get themselves to smart about what their what their condition is and do the research and listen to the podcasts and and, and, do, <laughs> right. and read books and all Good those advice. different types. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um you know because how many you guys have been in a running world for a long, long time? How many times have you heard someone say, "Oh, I can't run anymore. I have bad knees," and my doctor said I shouldn't run because my knees are bad. You know, and and on mm-hmm. the con- and on the contrary, you know, probably the one of the best things you could do is to run. You know, if you have bad, if you have knees that are hurting, <laughs> or do, or do motion squats. is good. Yeah, Maybe or do squats, squats are bad. Or lose 35 pounds, you know, or something like that, you know, you know, it's better to move than to not move. So I think, you know, patients have to realize that, you know, you know, science is, um, you know, I, I wrote it down one time. Uh, have, you, have you ever heard of the, the book Good to Go by Christy Ashwanden? No. She, it's a good book. Yet. You should read it. Yeah, good to go. It's about recovery and things like that. But she says, science is a process. It's not an answer. And science is a process of uncertainty reduction. So, you know, you have to kind of rule out all the different things. And as, as a patient, as an athlete, you have to rule different things out before you get to that doctor. And sometimes you got to rule out that doctor. you got to rule out that, that therapist um, who maybe just doesn't have the same philosophy. And you got to, you know, shop around and find what works best for you. You know, just like the right shoe with the right doctor is important for you too. And not everyone's going to love everyone, right? Some people are going to like love my, my way of doing it. And some people are going to say, oh man, he is just too goofy for me. So you got to find the one that works best for you. Well, with that said, like, is there, are there certain things about shopping around to see a good podiatrist in the area that you like little signs, little things that you think people should be looking for other than obviously good reviews if they're like, yeah. let's say a runner. Yeah, you know, it, it definitely helps, you know, if you're, you know, if you're going to see uh, a sports podiatrist and they're 150 pounds overweight, you know, that that's maybe, maybe that's not the right guy to go see. Um, and I hate to be, you know, be judgmental, but, you know, you want to have someone who knows how it's like to move, you know, and that, that's number one. Number two, I think you should look at their credentials, you know, and um, are they board certified? Um, are they uh, board certified in some of the specialty boards like sports medicine, like like I am. Have they done fellowship training and things like that? Um, have they spoken and, and done research or maybe written some articles that can you know give some uh, you know uh, a reference to you know whether or not they're good or not? You know because you know you can't just put on your card I'm a sports doc 
you know, what makes you a sports dog? What have you done? What have you volunteered and done to, to prove it? You know, how many cases of things, different things have you seen? You know, that's one of the reasons why I got involved with Special Olympics, because as a young doctor, what a great opportunity it was for me to see uh, a group of athletes who wanted to get better. And I had the opportunity to screen so many different types of people, you know, in, in, in the special needs population, but they were still really good athletes. So I got a chance to practice you know, the more you practice, the better you get at something. Very cool. And, and that makes total sense. And, and I'm glad that you are like dishing out this type of advice because it's hard for people to, to really figure out what everybody needs. Um, and, and I do want to talk a little bit about, because I, I did some reading on some of the articles that you had put out there and on, on the blog and things like that. And some of the therapies that um, you had touched on, uh, because I, I specifically know a buddy of mine who chronically injured, um, and found this shockwave therapy. And again, I know we talked about, you know, every, it's holistic and everybody's different, but I do want to talk a little bit about some of these newer therapies that people might not know about. So, um, could you tell us a little about shockwave? Cause my buddy got tremendous results. It sounds kind of brutal, but it, it seems yeah. to work really well. So what's the deal with that? Yeah. So, uh, shockwave therapy, um, it's called ESWT, which stands for extra corporeal means outside of the body shockwave therapy, ESWT. Um, and basically what it does, it uses, um, um, a propulsive wave of energy, a sonic wave of energy that usually uses some type of ballistic type of uh, probe that sends a wave of energy into the body. And what it does, it changes the metabolism inside the tissue. So say, for instance, you have a scarred tendon, like an Achilles tendon. Um, you utilize this probe over the area that will actually send this wave of energy into and make small little tiny holes in, in, the, in the tissue, which causes new blood flow to occur. They call it angiogenesis. Um, and as you get this new blood flow, the metabolism changes and it actually regenerates the tissue from being scarred or immobile to something that was back to the way it once was. Um, it's uncomfortable, like you said, <laughs> without question. Um, but, you know, the same token, we don't come at them at, at level 10. We come at them at level one and we work our way up. Um, it is something that, you know, you have to do multiple times. Usually you have to do it about three to five times for each pathology um, on a weekly basis. And um, you do it to tolerance. You know, the higher you can tolerate, the, the better off you're going to do. Um it's not a magic wand, though. It's uh, something that works well in conjunction with uh, the other things we already talked about. Um, but I would say that on my patients that I see, um, gosh, especially for recalcitrant patients, patients have been dealing with the same thing over and over again. And maybe you've had some really bad therapies like injection therapy over and over again, and nothing's really helped. It's really been a game changer um, for those patients. And the beauty behind shockwave therapy is that athletes can still continue working out. You know, they don't have to stop. We're not saying, hey, you know, decrease your load or anything like that. Um, you get this done and you will start to feel better within the first few weeks. Um, now, there's always a con to something. The con, the negative is that it's not a covered expense. So it can yeah. become the haves and the have-nots. So, you know, patients do have to pull out a, a, a certain amount of um, cash to get this paid for. So, um, good for me, not for them, but, <laughs> but, but, you know, it, it, you know what, I have no problem telling my patients to consider it, um, just for the sheer fact that, um, it works. I've seen it, you know, 
over and over and over uh, making a difference in these patients. I mean, today I just, I, I, I only had 12 patients this morning. I had uh, eight new patients. Eight of them were heel pain patients or Achilles patients. And six of them came in for shockwave therapy because they've tried everything else. And they're saying, I need to get this done. So, um, you know what? And they were, every one of them left here feeling a lot better, which was made me feel really good. You know, if you can get someone who's been, you know, almost like depressed because they're not able to run and move and, you know, they're, they're getting out of their, um, their normal, you know, reality. It feels great as a doc to get them to, to, to feel good again. And, and it only, aff- the, the way I understand it, it only affects the, like, damaged tissue like if you do it on your heel and you're, you have heel pain, heel pain the people that came in today but then you do it on like your calf which is more healthy i would say like it only really hurts or sensitive or uncomfortable as you put it uh, in one spot like yeah. is that right yep yeah and it actually can even be more than that so you could be on someone's plantar fascia and you can go two millimeters away and they feel nothing. And then all of a sudden you go over the spot and, they, and you want that biofeedback and they go, holy, mm, this really hurts. <laughs> and that's the spot you want to work on because that's the damaged spot. And usually we will first do things like diagnostic ultrasound to kind of pinpoint the areas. Um, obviously, you know, just manipulation and find what the different areas are. But yeah, if you go on over healthy tissue, it might not hurt at all. But over, you know, pathological tissue, it could hurt like a mother. <laughs> That's so bizarre. John, have you ever heard of that stuff? I have, actually. I've never had it done. Um, John, it's always over, yeah. There's always different. Yeah, that's uh, maybe maybe next time. Yeah. I was nice enough to, to, to uh, weasel a, a free x-ray out of Rob the last time I was at a ball. Maybe the next time I get some free uh, shockwave. I jammed. I was carrying one of my twins, and I jammed my pinky toe into the side of my bed. That injuries. Rough. And, uh, as it, yeah, as it turned, I was came hobbling into his office <laughs> one day, and we caught up to have lunch, and and uh, sure enough, it was broke. But yeah, uh, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's interesting, and yeah, I, I understand that it is expensive. And Rob, you can swear on this podcast. We haven't had any complaints yet, so we're still can, we can still push it <laughs> if we need to. Love it. Not um, many families listening. Yeah, yeah. In the car, we have been pretty good so far. Um, and also, there's another one that I didn't know uh, anything about. The 10x is that? Yeah. So 10x is more of an invasive procedure. Um, it's basically the same kind of technology where they use acoustic waves. We uh, and something I do as well. Um, what you usually have to do is make a stab incision. You put a probe, it's like the size of a, a pen inside of it. And at the end of this probe, it moves back and forth. Um, and this acoustic wave is, you generate it uh, uh, to an area that is scarred. And you do that, you follow it utilizing uh, diagnostic ultrasound so you can see the damaged tissue. And it kind of, in, in layman's terms, sucks out the bad stuff and regenerates the new stuff. Um, and, and it does work quite well. Usually when we do that, we also kind of augment it with some kind of, um, amniotic type of tissue as well as a scaffolding in that area, um, stem cell kind of situation. Um, and that works quite well. The downside about doing that is that it's a procedure. So you have to do it at a hospital surgical center. Mm. The patient does have downtime and the fact that they're usually in a boot for a, a week or two and they can't go back to their exercise for about a month. So it's more invasive. Um, I'll be honest with you. I do less and less of that nowadays because the shockwave works so darn well. Um, and there's different types of shockwave too now. So 
When it first started to come out, it was just what we call radial shockwave. We used to call that low energy shockwave. And now we use uh, that as well as focal shockwave or high energy, which we used to call it. And that kind of pinpoints. So the two together really do such a good job of getting pinpoint and plus helping the surrounding tissue. Um, but you know, it doesn't work for everybody. So there's always, you know, like I said, you want to have another tool. And another tool can be these um, 10X type procedures, the stem cell type procedures, uh, PRP type things that could also work. Yeah. It sounds like you're going to start with the shockwave anyway, because it's not as evasive. So like, and if that doesn't work, then maybe you consider the, the 10X. But is it yeah, 10X I covered? Mean, is it the same deal? Is it out of pocket? So 10X is covered. Yeah, it's crazy, so right? So that'd be so a reason to do, that people might yeah. do 10X? Yeah, like when people come to me, I kind of give them like the Chinese menu, you know, of, of different things. You get one from column A, one from column B, and try to push them together, whatever you need. And, you know, whatever works for their lifestyle and their budget, you know, is there. Um, but, you know, as a good doc, you want to give them lots of different uh, type of things to do. Is there anything that you see uh, that's coming out or any technologies that you've kind of read about or anything that seem exciting or that that might not quite be there yet or anything that people are working on kind of along these lines because this sounds like pretty groundbreaking stuff and and pretty um, you know like a high-end offering is there anything that you were excited about yeah um and, and one of the things that i'm looking more into now are things like cold lasers um the, you know, lasers have been around for a long long time and i think we're finally getting a better handle on what lasers can be utilized for, especially for more of acute situations um, to help with pain. Um, so that that's one of the ones that's very, very cool. And then this whole, you know, new new grouping of um, the stem cells. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's, that's really like a brave new world right now. Um, and it started off with basically doing plasma-rich protein, which is you, you drew your own blood and grab the plasma and injected it back in for different areas. And that works sometimes, and sometimes it doesn't work. And some of the newer products, uh, I use a product called Amniox, which is reconstituted umbilical cord as well as embryonic tissue that we inject into an area. And, wow. man, that's been really, really cool. So that's kind of the, the brave new world of uh, – Now, has government, governmental, like, restrictions been lifted – enough where that can move oh yeah yeah that's that's so it's yeah. not really like i mean again I'm, I'm talking from excuse my ignorance with that stuff but i i didn't know how much that was like because i always knew it was kind of an issue and not to like oh yeah yeah no we accept your ignorance john but that's okay um <laughs> i'm only i can only be friends with those who will do <laughs> will accept it. No, you're, you're, you're right you know i have a 19 year old son right now but when you know he he was born we actually saved his cord blood Back then, which back then was yeah. kind of like, whoa, that's crazy. Why are you doing that? And I we bet. still have that to this day. So um, we yeah, actually we'll- asked to have. They wouldn't do it at our hospital. We actually asked really? to have it saved. Yeah, um, they huh. just either weren't. They stopped doing it, or um, just wouldn't wouldn't do it. So because I we, we just heard that you know down down the road, even there's even going to be technologies that they're that they're still dreaming about that could possibly benefit having that blood down yeah. the road like you know we, we looked into it but john you could yeah. have been that florida man who was arrested stealing umbilical blood that could be your florida <laughs> man <laughs> that'd be cool yeah you know i think another technology that, that, that we haven't touched on yet is, is 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 looking into this 3d printing you know 3d printing oh yeah you know, for for shoes for devices things like that i don't think it's gotten to the level we needed to get to yet but I think that will be you know, more of a customized fit for people. 
Um, I think that's going to be the next great thing. It, it's like I said, it's not there yet, but you know, that could be really pretty cool as well. Everyone keeps talking about it. And, and I know that New Balance has done some cool stuff. I think Atrix does a custom system now too, where you, yeah. I mean, obviously there it, it like, so it almost doesn't, if you're making a, if you're, if you're, t- if you're actually using the technology to build something that um, comes from an impression that's not good, you know, it kind of goes back to the person who's fitting the shoes and doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, that's part of my, my issue. And, and one of the things I used to say to people, uh, I used to ask people how they got their orthotics made, mm-hmm. the process of it. And that was always a way for me to kind of like learn about doctors and how they were doing things. Like if they had somebody, if someone stepped in a phone box, I'd be immediately be like, go back, take them back. Um, <laughs> that's, that's very intuitive. Good for you, John. <laughs> yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there, it, it'd be, it's going to be, it's going to be wild eventually to see some of this. I mean, it's pretty, at the very least, like, I, I agree with you. I don't like the way necessarily it's going and like, is it's going to be cookie cutter, but right. to think that they could someday like scan your foot and 3d print, like on the spot, yeah, like a yeah. pair of shoes. It's, it's almost like we used to say, like, like back in the eighties, you say someday we're going to be able to talk to people um video conference like you know on the phone like you know no way that's never gonna happen but you know i mean it's moving so fast that to think that's actually a possibility Um, it's it's gonna be more than just shoes right it's gonna be your 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 whole wardrobe to be quite honest there's like people done houses i've heard there's been a house 3d printed that's crazy been assembled um so we talked about some cool things some things that you have seen that works um on the other end what what is stupid like what doesn't work like what is like something that people shouldn't waste their time with in yeah. your opinion in my opinion definitely cortisone you know yeah people who are yeah, getting lots of cortisone injections run you know the same kind of thing if you're if, if that's the first thing the doc offers you you know you're in the wrong office especially if you're an athlete um, because they're not thinking out of the box at all. They're just thinking about like, let's get this patient to feel good right now. It's a band aid, and they're going to be worse yeah. for it in the long run. So that's a no no. You know, the same thing is if if you, if you start going to a doctor and if within the first twenty seconds that doctor interrupts you, leave because mm-hmm. they're not letting you tell the story. They're not listening to you. Um, if the doctor gives you on your first visit a prescription for uh, an anti-inflammatory run you know i think these are a lot of things that you know not that they're bad but you know you need there's so many more things you could do before just going right to those kind of things um you know uh, as far as what else is like things out there i really don't like um we talked about it before too with the the shoe fitting and things like that you know where it's just like oh you need x for this for this type of foot you know i I don't think that's right either Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And that, that I, I don't know. I've never had a cortisone shot. John, have you ever had one? Uh, no, but I, I, I like probably it's, it's, it's amazing how common they are today. I mean, you, you still hear about it quite a bit. Is the same deal? Yeah. It's kind of like a Band-Aid, like a, a real temporary type of fix? Yeah, I guess it depends upon the joint, but I think in foot and ankle, um, there's mm. a limited use for it, to be quite honest, especially for a runner. Yeah, just seems dangerous to me. Like, so like, you know, let's numb the area so you can't feel what is actually hurting. Right, like, right. Something about it just doesn't seem right to me. Yeah, I mean, it depends upon your patient. But if you if you have a, a competitive or a recreational runner, that shouldn't be the thing you're going to. Not at all. Yeah. I also um, don't like um, things I feel that don't work 
is um, you see a lot of times patients come in and then they walk out with a boot you know, a cam boot, you know, walking around. And I I think that's a dangerous thing because um, unless you have a fracture or a real serious injury, I don't think you really need that. You need load. Load's important for athletes, for runners. Um, When you take load away, that's going to affect them down the road. And if you don't get, if you just take the boot off and say, all right, go run, you know, they're going to have an issue with that soon enough. So, um, you know, you could do maybe load for a very short amount of time as long as you, you're giving them guidelines. So it's important for your doctor to give you uh, a roadmap. That's interesting. Yeah, I never thought about that, like kind of taking, like deloading something. Like how do you expect it to get stronger? How is it going to get like mobile again? Um, but that makes sense. And more it just seems like it's a reason, like, oh, you're hurt. You have a boot on. Um, yeah. And yeah, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you stories I probably shouldn't tell you, but you know, the biggest reason why people get boots is because doctors can, you know, charge for it. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's that, that, that is covered, you know, under insurance, which well, is, yeah, I think there is, there is a con, there's conflicts of interest in, in just in the medical world in general. And I think that's why it's important for, for people to listen. So they understand a little enough to know and some of the questions to ask whether it's a boot and if the boot might be perfect. I don't think you're definitely necessarily counting that out. No. You're just saying, you know, like ask questions, understand these, these situations. And, and I think that there is something to be said for a doctor who is, doesn't have to sell an orthotic every time to keep their practice alive too. So like I always thought, and I, I hate to say, it, and I want the, the, the smaller guy to be successful, but I want a guy who's like, who has a patient every 15 minutes over, you know, any day of the week, because you know, if, if they don't have to, like, there's something to be said for someone that says, Hey, look, you know, you're fine. Like there's yeah. nothing I can do. Just go, you know, and be like, really? Like, you're not, wait, you're not going to make, you're not going to sell, you're not going to give me, you know, sell me something or whatever it is, you know, maybe sell isn't the right word, but you know what I mean? Like it just no, that I- idea of, of, you know, not, not cookie cutting and putting somebody into a, a silo. It is a double-edged sword though, being busy. Let me tell you, especially for a sports medicine doc, because yeah. You're busy, but then a sudden someone calls you up and says, hey, I'm an athlete, and I got a race coming up in a week and a half. I need to get in now. I'm like, well, the girl up front says, well, we can't get you in for two weeks. They're shopping mm-hmm. around for the next possible doc. So yeah. it's hard. You know, it's, you got to find a balance. And, you know, we, we try to leave as many spaces open for those type of patients. But, you know, athletes it's are tough. you, right? It's yeah. just you, right? Yeah. Just me. Yeah, have you thought all. about it? I mean, have you thought about adding another doctor? You just haven't yeah. found anybody that's as, as smart and as good as you? No, I don't know about that. I have. I've, I've had people work here who are excellent. They were really, really good. And um, sometimes they move on and I say, you know, why'd you move on? They're like, you work too hard. And I was like, <laughs> oh. So they're like, a lot of times, especially the younger doc, I hate to say this, but they're looking for that nine to five type of situation. Millennials. And, you know, yeah, you know, with, with athletes, you have to be, a, you know, it's affable, available, and, and able, you know, the three A's. And, you know, you have to be available, you know, at all times. So like, all right, you know, you need to come in. I'll, I'll come in at, at my lunchtime. Or I'll come in before. I'll stay late. You know, and those are the kind of things that a lot of times docs don't want to do. You know, and then, I, I, like I said, I did have people working here. And, I'll, I'll, and people say that to me all the time. Doc, why don't you get another doc? I'm like, will you see them? And they're like, no. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, well, I'm in the back room eating their lunch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you got to. Figure out the balance. Cool. Um, yeah, I don't want to keep you all day, but I do have a couple more things. Um, sure. I want to talk about that podcast you sent over and, and some of your thoughts on on some of that. Uh, this podcast it was called uh, Science of Sport, I believe. 
Yeah. Um, and that was really good. It was really interesting. And I had, uh, I wanted to see what your thoughts were on the guys kind of take. So th- this podcast, they were t- talking about the Vaporfly 4%, right? Yeah. And this doctor or scientist, whatever he was, he was kind of thinking that the shoe itself was um, kind of like an unfair advantage. Uh, so I, I thought that was an interesting perspective. Um, and for someone who is a, a foot specialist with athletes, kind of wanted to grab your take on something like that with these shoes that seem to be undeniably working and making people faster. <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing is like, even I, I don't think Nike knew why the shoe worked, you know? Um, <laughs> but you know, they, everyone's talking about this carbon fiber plate that's in the 4%, but I don't think it has anything to do with the carbon fiber plate. I think what they're realizing now that it has more to do with their foam. Um, mm. now, I don't know what goes down in Nike, but I'm sure they've tested it with the plate and without the plate. I think what happens though is that that plate gives them a little bit more stability. Um, if you just had this big block of foam, it might not be as, as, as comfortable um, and it might bottom out on a little bit more, but they, they've come across with a shoe that's made Nike relevant again uh, in the running world, which is kind of interesting. Um, but that, you know, the other point about that too is that like, you know, Kipchoge is, is not wearing the, the same 4% that you're going to buy in a store. How, how much you different know? do you think? I, I heard him make that point. How much different could they make it? Like what, what are, oh, I, what think could they... I think it's specific for their weight, their stride length, their cadence, um, and they make it a specific shoe. And you, and you think and, that, and, that could help that much more? I definitely think it can, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I think it can. It's you know, definitely. But the comfort is a big part of it, and the mental part of it is also something they can't peel away from all this. I I personally think that the mental side of it is, and, and for for better or worse, I mean, in most cases, better. If you feel good about, oh, I got my 4%, I'm heading out and racing this weekend. You know, yeah. you, feel, and you feel faster, hey, you're faster. Um, you know, so it's hard, it's hard to kind of, I don't know, I'm not the, the foam and all these things. I, I'm a little skeptical in the beginning with a lot of these things as to like yeah. how guys running 435 miles, you know, for 26 of them. Like, I, I just yeah. don't know. 4% is a little high. Well, you know, the thing, the thing that's weird about that too, is that like, he's the only one that's gone down that far, you know, everyone can get those shoes, right? But he's the only one who's like knocking two minutes off of his marathon time. You know, if everyone else could get the same shoe, why aren't they doing the same thing as well? So I think it's more about the individual than it is just about the shoe. Yeah. Sometimes. And look, yeah. and I'm not taking anything away from Nike. They're but they're a marketing company. Like they. Oh yeah. Are, they're good at and the it. way that they set this up is just brilliant. I, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'll never get the idea of like, look, if we're going to break the two hour barrier and it's, I no one, like, I don't even know why I'm giving you my opinion on this, but it drives me nuts because I, I don't, let's do it in the way we've always been trying, you know? Yeah. Back, back in but, my day. Yeah. You know? like, yeah. I'm like this old, old man. Get off my lawn. Old <laughs> man. Back in my day, we didn't run behind a big giant truck in a you know, arrowhead formation, you know. <laughs> but at the same time, I get why it's so big, and I also get why people want to see it, and it's fun, and it's brilliant. At the end of the day, they have a shoe around this whole idea of breaking two hours, and, yeah. you know, it's – um. Yeah, but yeah. I, I do find this point – there has to be something said about that – about the shoe, though, because, you know, they said even – I think he said it was something like 2.6% increase in performance. Yeah. You know, if you do that in the numbers, that makes that's a big difference. You know, we're talking about much time. Yeah. 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 It's a huge difference. So even if you did half of that, 
you know, it, it would make some sense. But the thing that I kind of scratch my head about, there's a lot of copycat cheese out there right now, and it's just not the same, you know. Um, they're, they're not doing, you know, everyone's going to have now a carbon fiber shoe. You know, I know Hoka has one now, and New Balance has one, and, you know. It, there's a lot of variables with that 6%, yeah, though. Though, because like, let's right. say for instance, like for instance, like it's a two hundred fifty dollars shoe. So you mm-hmm. may be like, "Hey, I'm really up in my training this season because I bought the two hundred fifty dollars shoe, or I'm going to buy yeah. the two hundred fifty dollars shoe because I really, really up my training." That's you a know, good so point. There, there's, there's like, and again, I'm not, I'm not taking anything away from it. It could be, but it's, and I think it just it put it puts a little bit more light on like all the variables that are involved with everything that we that you do and and that the footwear companies are there's so many different things moving you know in the same direction but like next to each other that it's hard to separate out any of these things and I think that's what makes our job our job really hard as coaches and and for you you know as a doctor um sometimes you, I'm sure you see things that work that you've never seen work before. And if they work great, like, you know, and I think there's also something we said being like, Hey, look, let's try this. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Maybe it'll work, but let's try it. You know, let's see what yeah. happens. And I think, you know, being honest about those things is, and not drawing a line in the sand is, is really important. Um, yeah. I mean, with all, there's with no, all that, like, though, I, I want to touch on, I'm sorry to cut you off, go ahead, go ahead. but I have to get to this is, um, is your do great things um, mm-hmm. saying, which I love. And I listened to a talk from you from you that you gave at the academy. Um, I think it was at the academy, right? It was uh, the um, APMA, American Pediatric Medical Association's national meeting in Nashville. Yeah. Okay. Now, and it's, a- this could be a whole episode because your story is pretty crazy and amazing. Um, but maybe you could just talk. I don't know if it, you can even talk about it briefly about your um, your bout with cancer and you know some yeah. of the that has changed and affected your practice and your perspective. I'll give you the cliff notes version of it. Um, I was, uh, since I was, since my kids were really small, I would always tell them to do great things. And, you know, little kids are like, what does that mean? I'm like, whatever you do in life, do it with all your heart, with all your soul. I don't care if it's like holding the door open for somebody or doing your academics or doing your athletic work, just to give your all and make people remember who you were, you know, so do great things. And they're like, okay, whatever. So, you know, as kids would say, so, you know, lo and behold, few years back, I was having this ridiculous amount of head pain and I didn't know what was going on. I went to a bunch of different docs. They couldn't figure it out. And then finally one doc said, you have this condition called glossopharyngeal neuralgia, which is basically an inflammation um, around your brainstem because of vessels surrounding your brainstem and causing compression. So I wound up getting brain surgery. Um, the brain surgery was supposed to decompress that area, make me feel better. And it was a lot to go through. And it was a lot to get to that point. Even you know, Like I said, this is the, the Cliff Notes version. Um, but, you know, I, I after about a year after the surgery, I'm like, you know, my, my pain is coming back worse than ever. And I didn't know what was going on. I went to the doc and the doc's like, oh, you look good. I don't know what's going on. Maybe I said to somebody else. And the doc was really nice who I went to. And we actually became friends. And, um, but he's like, I don't, maybe I'm too close to the situation. Sent me to another group of docs and they said the same thing. Everything looks good. I don't know what's going on. Um, and, and lo and behold, I kept telling them, listen, guys have to listen to me. You know, something's not right. And they kept saying, ah, you're probably just stressed out. I'm like, no, I'm not stressed out. And then, you know, one of the issues here is that I noticed that like when I stick my tongue out, it goes sideways. I like, I'm not the smartest guy and I'm a foot doctor, but you know, that's not the right thing to do. And they're like, oh, let's do some more tests. And they did some more tests and they said, no, nah, it actually looks okay still. I'm like, I'm like, can we look a little lower? So they looked a little lower and lo and behold, they call me up that day and they go, oh man, you have stage four throat cancer. 
um, and you have metastatic uh, malignant throat cancer. And I was like, holy crap, what does that mean? And they're like, well, that means you have a 20% survival rate and uh, you're going to have to, you know, get a, a major surgery where you remove your jaw, remove most of your tongue and give you a permanent trach. And I was like, oh, man, okay. So I remember going to sit down on the floor at my kids and telling them, hey, you know, this is what dad's got to go through. My kids were young at the time. And I remember one of the kids came up to me and put his hand on my shoulder and said, I guess it's time to do great things. And I was like, Damn. Oh, all right. I guess you've been listening. So um, that was like one of those moments. I'm like, all right, I got to do great things. So long, the long and short of it is that um, I never had to get to surgery because they called me up the night before the surgery and they said, hey, we do want to try it a different way. And we're going to try to just give you chemo and radiation every day for three months and we'll see how that goes. And uh, it beat the snot out of me really, really good. But, um, I'm here, you know, I'm here to talk about it, um, which is kind of cool. And I got through it and I made a promise that I would do great things. And one of the first things I said is that when I finish this up, I'm going to run uh, a race with my kids. And I am not a runner by any means. I'm a guy who just likes to run. I'm not like you guys, but um, we did the run and the kids ran it with me. And um, it was it was really special to me. And we still do that every year. Um, to, you know, to con- try to touch others' lives and do great things. Um, and just to give you the, the next version of that, so the guy who did the brain surgery on me, he uh, he called me up um, like a year after I went through this, and he said, hey, can I take you out to dinner? I'm like, all right, sure. I said, you need me to come, you know, come somewhere? He goes, no, no, I have a driver. He'll, he'll take me to my, your restaurant. I was like, wow, pretty you know, special guy. Takes me there, and he, he said, hey, I just want to um, – see how you're doing. I'm like, I'm doing okay. He goes, and your story is really important. I, I'm writing a book and I want to know if I could put your story in my book. And I'm like, sure, by all means, you can, you can tell the story. And he goes, I want to ask you one other thing. I go, what? He goes, I want to ask you for your forgiveness. I'm like, why? He goes, well, I did unnecessary brain surgery on you and I delayed the diagnosis of what your cancer was because I kind of numbed up everything that was going on there. And he didn't know. I'm like, wow. I said, well, it's kind of heavy to be talking about over appetizers here. But um, <laughs> I said, what'd you learn from it? And he said, well, every time I see someone that comes in with your condition, I have to look for the zebras like we talked about before. And I'm like, okay, cool. I said, well, you could do a lot of good things. So let's you know, enjoy our steaks and move on. And, uh, and he said, cool. And I remember a month later, he called me up and he goes, I was in the office. He made me move away from my patient. He goes, just had someone who just came in just like you. And it's stage one cancer, and uh, he's going to be okay because we're going to get things done right. Because like, we we did the new protocol. I'm like, good, you're already you know changing lives, so he's doing great things. So you know, you never know. It's like the ripple effect, right? You know, you know, we we, we all affect each other. And although it really sucked to go through what I went through, um, in the grand scheme of things, I think it's made me a better doctor, father, husband. Um, you know, person in general, and hopefully, you know, my story can affect other people too. Yeah, great. So is that is that um I mean thanks for sharing because I think that the perspective is just like you know one of the reasons why people run um you know they like you said you even went out and did a run afterwards, right? Like I think that people a lot of times connect running with like these like life events and like whether it's a bucket list type of item they're like they will were always saying they were going to get to um so thanks for sharing that cuz I I really I I listened to the whole thing when you sent it over to me and it blew me away because I, and I remember thinking, like, man, if we could wake up every day and feel the way that you felt on that day when you got that diagnosis, like, we'd be amazing people because we would live every day 
you know, with that idea in our minds. And so I, I love that we can share these stories on this podcast and, and people can hear them. Um, but, uh, yeah. So uh, is there a way to, for people to hear that whole entire speech? Is that something that's public or is that something we could share with yeah. people? Yeah, if you go on um, either my YouTube channel uh, for Orange Town, we'll have you send it over here, and we'll post it um, in the notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's on my it's on my uh, website too. Yeah, you can see it there. Yeah, it was definitely meaningful to me, and it was kind of interesting. Like since then, I've been asked to give that talk again, and uh, I know I know it was like a one and done. I know I never have to give that talk again because it was kind of it's really emotional, as you can imagine, to give. Um, But I actually was asked to give it in Michigan. Uh, to a group of medical students and it wasn't my peers. So I went there and I, I gave the talk and there, there, like when I gave it in, in, in Nashville, there, were, there weren't too many dry eyes in, in the audience. It was, it was crazy. I gave it here in Michigan. And these medical students were all taking notes down and wanted to, you know, know all the information. And it was, it was definitely a different feeling afterwards. So there's like a lesson to them. They're like, wait, what was the condition? Like what, what's the protocol? <laughs> Yeah, they're missing did. the point. <laughs> right, right. So they actually made it into a, a continuing medical education type of thing. So they kind of show it over yeah. and over again. But I'm like, okay, not really the point, but that's cool. If that works for you. That's <laughs> for them, that's doing great things. So. <laughs> Very cool, Rob. I really appreciate you popping on, uh, sharing your stories. Really awesome. Um, so where can people find you? you we mentioned your YouTube page. Um, I noticed you have some social, but what's a great way for people to kind of follow what you're doing um, in any spot? Yeah, yeah. you can look at orangetownpodiatry.com or you can go to uh, Twitter, uh, O-Town Podiatry. Um, and yeah, you can, you can find all my different social media that way. And uh, like, like I said, I love to share. I, I try to do little talks myself. Uh, you know, my bucket list is one day to be as cool as you guys and have a podcast, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and I'll have Rich and John as, as my guests. It'd be kind of fun, but yeah. you know, it, 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 we can do fun. it. Anybody can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's good to like get out your people, you know, people learn from stories. So I love to share stories and stories are, you know, the best way they're, they're, they're told in the past, um, about, you know, the present, hopefully they remember it in the future. So those are things that I think are really important to hear the stories. 100% agree. I think it's awesome. Cool. John, anything else? Yeah, man. Rob, I really appreciate it. It was great catching up with you. Um, yeah, just as an old friend, but, but uh, you know, to be able to pick your brain. I know our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. I can't thank you enough okay. for joining us. Oh, no, no doubt. You know, I, I remember, you know, John Williams was the cool guy in Brooks and he was like was. the guy who- now he was a guy, this is, you know, here I'm a podiatrist, but he would come in like a drug salesman and bring in a bag <laughs> of shoes and teach me about shoes. And, you know, I thought that was so cool, you know, to learn from the guys who were, who were at, at, at the, at, you know, at, at the company. So, you know, he, you were definitely ahead of your game and the fact that you reached out to a, a lowly podiatrist, I, I really appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, maybe it was early on, and I was begging you to recommend our shoes. <laughs> They're called yeah. the Brooks Beast, <laughs> not Brooks Brothers. Brooks, not Brooks Brothers. <laughs> well, thank you guys. Cool, I appreciate yeah. it. All right, take care, buddy. All right, take care.